Welcome to Sunday Night Church. This is the Sunday night that corresponds to January 17th, 2021. And tonight's uh, topic is to talk about some things that God has been working on in my heart as a pastor and um, in the heart of our leaders as a church board. And I want to share with you these good things. And so, um, first of all, I want to start with the idea of a second opportunity and the year 2020. When, uh, <clears throat> when we worked to have Pastor Steve become our senior pastor in 2019, um, I was excited about that, and I thought the Lord was leading me to um, back away a little bit in my hours at church and to get more involved in my other line of work as a computer programmer, and Steve was ready to take the lead. But um, in the transition, which I, I think went smoothly, I was given sort of an unusual opportunity that uh, rarely happens in the world, and that is that when you are the leader of something and then you kind of step away and, and instead of being on deck um, on, the, on the ship, so to speak, you kind of go back to maybe uh, flying reconnaissance over the top of it. And so you're a, a couple thousand feet above and you realize or you can see things about how the ship is going and you can look at the wake that it's had over the years and realize that those are the things that I influenced and how did I do? What kind of a, a legacy did I leave? What kind of a leadership impact did I have? And um, it was interesting because a lot of it actually wound up being sort of self-critical. And there was things that I realized by stepping back for a year and a half or so. Um, uh, there was some things I noticed about myself and some things I noticed about a better way of doing things that Steve was doing. And I, I was more able to see some of the failings that I had um, not on purpose or not necessarily moral uh, choices in the sense of like I on purpose did something wrong, but I saw a number of areas that were weak because of my neglect. And so tonight's going to kind of talk about those. The other thing is, of course, that 2020 is an unprecedented year from a standpoint of just uh a worldwide pandemic, um, an election year, um, the, the conflagration or the, con the conflow when two rivers come together, multiple streams come together, there's turbulent waters. And when you look at all the things that happened in the political arena and the, uh, the we're, we're starting to reap the benefits slash curses of um, social media where anybody and everybody has an equal voice and there is a, a it's more and more possible to produce false stories and conspiracies and it's super hard to interpret what's going on and there are um, such diverse opinions and even whenever you follow a particular source of authority or an opinion you're um you're amazed at how wrong they are and that's probably because everybody was learning what was going on and then personality types play there's some personalities that aren't afraid of anything and there's other personalities that are afraid of everything and so those personality play um, go and then um a politician loves a good crisis, right? So there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, how do we respond. 
And even if we did have a clear and unified leadership uh, to follow, which would be hard to argue, hard to defend that we had that, right? Leaders were making dis mistakes and contradicting themselves. But there was also just the social uh, devastating impact of being isolated from one another and not being able to hang out with your family and friends and, and all the associated depression associated with those kinds of things. And then the fear of sickness and then sometimes actually getting sick. And, and so those are a lot of issues. And so when you play all those together, it, it put our church in sort of a reset mode. And when Pastor Steve realized that his his gift set did not match the uh, the opportunity that he had been given, and he decided to step away and seek uh, peace in his life, and, and our church has really responded well to that, but it nevertheless uh, put me in a spot where I was um, surprised, actually, to get a second chance, to have a second opportunity to lead and to come back down out of that uh, that reconnaissance flight up at 5,000 feet and maybe get back on deck. And what would I do different this time if I had a chance to do over again? That that kind of a thing. I'm sure many of us as, as parents and as business leaders, even as athletes or anything, we often think, man, if I only could do it over again, I would do it a little different. And so that was part of what was going on in my heart, but also the odd uh, circumstance, and I would even maybe call it a blessing that that God was resetting all of all of our whole culture and church life and everything that we were, were unable to do a VBS and unable to meet in person, and and so we had so many things that were being reset. So it was a time to think, and so I, uh, I thought about it a lot hard, and I felt I want to say that I'm not um, <clears throat> particularly wise or. Uh, uniquely insightful, but I do want to say that I think the Lord um, was close to me in in a strange kind of uh, peace and grace way, and gave me a heart and uh, and He used some other convicting factors that I had been exposed to over the years that uh, sort of all came together. And so, what I want to do tonight is kind of explain some of those thoughts and things that guided my thinking in my second opportunity in October of 2020, and then now are, have you know big progress in December and January. And so as we finish up the month of January here, we're, we're taking some steps. And so there's uh, five things I want to explain tonight. Number one, as I thought about it, our board did not seem to be important. And uh, so I'm gonna talk about that in detail. And then I want to talk about how did this happen? How did it happen that our board was not an important part of our church leadership? And then how do we raise the bar? And so talking about raising the bar and then a, uh, specifically after that, well, how do we hope, hope for how to get there? If we want to change some things and do things differently, how do we get there? And then finally, I want to talk about what you can do to help us as your leadership. And so that's what I want to cover tonight, and um, I just ask that you would uh, listen well and uh, and take notes if you want to ask me questions. Uh, I'm certainly in process, and I don't think that I know everything. Okay, so um, let me pray a minute. Father, as we um, discuss these movements in our heart, my heart, and the uh, the response of our, our board members, these, these good men of God who have 
who have shared my concerns and in my conversation with other leaders in the church as we begin to um, try to implement some of these new approaches. Um, may these things be an encouragement to us and may our church be more like what Jesus wants it to be than it has ever been before. And that's our goal in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so, how did, uh, what do I mean that the board did not seem important? And so, um, let me just share for you why I'm persuaded that that was the case. One of them is the meetings themselves were not very important. Um, <clears throat> we had an agenda that was routine. We had uh, everybody's name and, you know, reported in their area. So how's it going? Yep, nothing's new here. Okay, how's it going in your area? Nothing's new here. And so it was sort of a drum, humdrum type of agenda. And that's my fault. That's the way I organized it. And we would occasionally have some kind of a heated a conversation about something to talk about. And we always agreed together and it was a unified decision. So it w there were important things we did, but a lot of times the meetings themselves were, were um, trivial and you could be absent and not really miss anything. And there was not a, uh, a lot of sense of value in it uh, for us as, as board members. I would also say that the purpose of a board meeting was not very clear. Uh, if you would have asked all nine of our board members, what is the reason we're meeting tonight? I'm not sure we would have had the same answer. And I think that a lot of times the answers might've been to take care of the building and grounds or to approve the financial statements, but that was sort of about it. And so we were kind of just taking care of the church, but not really, um, leading the church, I think. And then the um, other reason I thought the board was not very important is because um, as board members, I noticed that we, they, um, sort of had lukewarm participation. It was, it, it was easy to skip. Our absenteeism was kind of going up. Um, the, uh, the assignments, uh, we started to actually implement a to-do list, a reminder to-do list, and in the assignment, we would joke about how fourth month, fifth month, and things weren't getting done. And so we were just, we were just not very excited about what we were doing. And so I, I think that this is not untypical. I think that's easy to happen, but I, I, that's what I kind of wanted to explain then my second topic is so how did this happen? How did we get to this spot? And I, I know that when I first started as pastor of our church um, 16 years ago, that there were godly men on the board who were elder in age and elder in their roles, and they were leading the church, and the church knew how to operate without a pastor. There's, there's often a true, um, it's often a true case that when a church is between pastors, the lay leaders actually step up and do a good job. And Pastor Taylor, I think, um, I don't know him real well, but my predecessor, Pastor Taylor, was a good leader, and he, was, uh, he enabled the board, and I think the board was more involved in things than it was after I came. And so something that I did, not on purpose, but what I did is I kind of, we fell from a place where our leaders were, were clearly elders and we were caring about the people of the church and we we slid into a mode where we were just taking care of stuff 
and just keeping the boat running, but not actually knowing where we were going and not doing the right things. And so uh, when I say the right things, I'm not saying that we did wrong things. I'm just saying that we were good. We were becoming better and better administrators, but not what the Bible calls us to be, and that is elders or shepherds over our church. And so um, some of the factors that contributed to that was increasing staff. As our church got larger and as uh, Pastor Steve came on staff, and as um, you know, Becky was on staff, and we had other staff members, a youth leader and a music leader, and we would have uh, these meetings. And a lot of times what would happen is that the center of the church decision-making process was sort of the staff meeting. And so a lot of times we would talk about direction and philosophy of ministry and those kinds of considerations at the staff level. And then we would come back and tell the board what it was that the staff had decided. Now, it wasn't necessarily bad again. I'm, I, please don't interpret all this as, a, as an indictment of any one person or any, um, any blame. If any blame is to be found, it would be on me. But the, the point is, is that when you've already worked through all the hard work and you make some sort of a decision and then you come and tell the board you're, you're kind of burned out and you don't want to go into all the detail again, and the board being taught indirectly by our process that their opinion was just sort of a rubber stamp kind of thing and that they weren't going to be involved in the details of how it all worked, they would say, okay, fine, you do what we want to do. And so the fact that we were actually growing as a church and our leadership staff got larger, we actually pulled, unintentionally, but we actually pulled... Um, Dare I use the word power? I guess that's the word. We, we pulled decision-making power away from the board, not because we didn't trust the board, but because that's just where we did the work. And so that was a factor that was there. Um, another thing that happened, ironically, that made the board less important is that we increased the number of board members. And so what we did in order to give more people opportunities to serve at church is we added more board members so that more of them could be on the board and in theory they would be more involved with the church. But what that actually did, ironically, is it dissipated what each board member needed to do and it spread out the workload so thin that there was some jobs that weren't even jobs at all. And we would kind of joke about the fact that, oh, if you get assigned to that particular area of ministry, you got the life of Riley. You don't have to do anything. You just come to board meetings and say, yep, everything's good. And, you know, when you have somebody helping you like Laura Hedinga or, or somebody in the kitchen committee who knows how to run their part of the church, then you're just, you're just a figurehead in the, in the most uh, positive sense of the word is you get the responsibility to oversee a ministry that's already being done by somebody who's not on the board anyway. And so um, we kind of, be, by having more board members, we actually diluted the... Um, the impact of any one board member, and we kind of made the job less important. The other thing that I did, and this is partly because I'm an engineer also, and because I um, empathize with people, when I would ask somebody to consider being a board member, I would say to them, hey, you know, if you're willing to serve on our church board, you know, for me, the goal was to get them to say yes. And so I would say, it's, and I would tell them the truth, I wasn't lying. Um, I would tell them the truth. It's not a very hard job. It's just one board meeting a week, a month, I mean, one board meeting a month. 
um, maybe an occasional time like you would serve communion. And, um, you know, if there was a big issue, you might get involved, but it's really not much. And the administrative staff does all the hard work and you don't really have to do anything. And so in the desire of serving the board members and making their life easier um, and making it easier to serve the Lord, I, as a board member, I actually robbed them of the pressure to do ministry work. And so in the desire to minimize the workload, I actually minimize their importance. The other thing that I think that we did is we even had planned absenteeism. In other words, we, um, we even had board members who knew because of their work schedule that they would not be in town for six months at a time or because of their, they go to Florida or out of town for the, or their work schedules. And say, oh, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can just handle it through the minutes. And so we had board members that by definition didn't even need to be on the board or present in the meetings. And so um, other things about how it happened, um, my personality as a leader is part of the problem. I am a, I'm a quick processor. Um, I think that that's a gift, but I interpret the data quickly and come to a conclusion. And my conclusions are right often enough to keep me out of trouble, but uh, they are sometimes too fast. But for me, I can make a decision in a heartbeat. When I, when I go shopping with Tammy, um, I, I don't dare tell anybody this because I don't wanna get in trouble with her, but when we go on the bike trail, she can walk so fast, I can't keep up. I almost have to jog to keep up with Tammy when she's walking. But when we go to Target, she goes into this super low gear. And I one time saw a cart coming around the corner of an uh, at the aisle, the end cap, and I knew it was Tammy pushing the cart, even though I couldn't see anything about the person and I didn't see anything in the cart. I knew it was her because of the speed. I knew Tammy's shopping speed and it was slow. And man, I'm telling you, it's hard for me. I, I, if I'm going just to be with her, I can saunter along and take a step and rest, take a step and rest. But man, if I have something to do, it's almost unbearable for me. And my point is, is that when I shop, I hunt. And when I find the thing that matches what's on the shopping list, I grab it. And I don't comparison shop, I don't browse shop, I grab the first thing. For me, I, I don't like buying a car, but I can buy a car in two hours. I'll go to the lot, if it's okay, if it's a good deal, if it's used enough, Eh, it's all right. And if I don't get the best car, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. What I'm trying to say is I'm not risk averse. I, I just go and I, um, I'm not afraid of things going wrong. And I, I, it'll be fine. If I get a lemon, I'll have stories to tell. That's sort of the way I feel about it. And so it's some things I don't sweat the details on and I want to make progress. And because I'm also an engineer, I'm, uh, I, I'm really into progress, progress, progress. And so I confess that my personality as a leader may have actually, I would just make decisions that I never even thought of letting the board decide or forcing them to decide. And I think there's been a couple of times over my tenure here where we 
have discussed the idea of on purpose putting a two-month delay on any ideas that I come up with so that the rest of the board has a chance to interact with it instead of just flying past them. So I confess that that's part of my personality as a leader, and um, some of that's positive, but some of it's not. And so I think that's something that I'm just being honest about. The other thing that happened is that we kind of developed a culture of levity and dismissal. In other words, we would joke about, oh, another board meeting, and we'd spell it B-O-R-E-D, like boring, or I would make that joke. Or if somebody was a candidate for the board and they didn't make it, um, you know, the church didn't select them, I'd say, oh, man, you're so lucky you dodged a bullet that time. You don't have to serve on the board. And so uh, there was this tone of humor that I participated, that I probably was the source of, that made board meetings seem um, not important. And, you know, we would be glad about the once a year fellowship board meeting because, hey, we don't have to do any work this time. And so I, as a joking kind of thing, um, I indirectly betrayed the lack of preciousness for the board's activities. <sighs> Jokes are dangerous, aren't they? Because when we tease one another and um, we can use harsh words, I'm guilty of that for sure. And um, so that's a whole nother sermon. But uh, but the point is, is that I, um, I encouraged a culture of, eh, it's not that important. The other thing that I would say that I did is that, um, that we did as a church, and this is partly my own background, but we collapsed the roles of elder and deacon in our church constitution. And you understand our church constitution is an agreement that Christians made years ago to govern the way our church operates and so that we can meet the requirements of the IRS and be a nonprofit organization and everything. Our constitution is is tries to be biblical, it has a theological statement, we try to understand ourselves, but the Constitution itself is not authoritative like the Bible is, but it is the rule book by which we govern, and there's a process for us to make amendments and changes, and we can do that if we're convicted of something wrong. But in our Constitution, we have a distinction between the role of elders and the role of deacons. And the role is not super defined in the Constitution, but the, at least there's a recognition that in the Bible, the word used to describe an elder versus the role of a deacon is different. And um, I, just for sake of shortness right now, the best way to think of it is the elder is a pastor slash father image of the church. I don't mean father in a priestly way, like in a Catholic church. What I mean is a father in a family way. And so the elder is the dad, and the elder is the pastor. And that the pastor, the preaching pastor, is just one of the elders. This is how the Bible would view it. And that the, um, the elder is qualified to teach and able to teach. And the only real difference between me as a quote-unquote pastor and any other elder on the board is just the fact that I'm compensated by the church, that by your kindness you're able to give me income so that I have more time to prepare and study and, and do funerals and weddings and things like that. And so it's really, but in the Bible's view, anybody who is, a, who is in the role of elder, and it, don't be confused that it as necessarily age, you don't have to be old to be an elder, it's spiritual maturity. 
and it's a dad's role. It's the kind of thing that a dad does for his family if he's a good dad. He watches out where the resources are going, and he, he takes care to make sure that the whole family is going in a direction that's mutually beneficial. And, and those that are in need get extra attention, and those who are not get extra freedoms. And, and so there's um, those kinds of things. So I collapse that role on top of or into the deacon role. And in, the, in my understanding of the Bible, the deacons were selected to wait on tables. When the, when the um, different uh, widows were being neglected in the distribution of care for the widows, the solution was to get administrative people, deacons, who were full of the Spirit and able to do things, but they were religious, they were spiritual, I mean, they were good Christians, but they, their role was not the dad role, it was administrative role. It was to manage the facilities and manage the distribution of um, gifts. And so the elders or the pastor teachers who devoted themselves, like the apostles, devoted themselves to the, the worship and prayer and study and prayer. And then the deacons would take care of the administrative task. And the gift of administration is one of the spiritual gifts that Paul lists and one of his lists of the spiritual gifts. So that's a really big deal. And so there's not this elders are more important than deacons. It's just a different part of the body, just like the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you and vice versa. So there's, but there is a distinction in the scripture between elder and deacon. And our board, our constitution recognizes that. And historically, prior to my time at our church, the structure of the church's leadership was more profoundly impacted by that definition. All of that to explain that one of my influences was we collapsed those roles so that there was really no discernible difference. And even when we would select elders from among ourselves, we would say, well, there's really no difference. And part of my reason to do that was to not make those who were just considered deacons to not feel like less thans. And, um, and I was wrong. They aren't less thans, but that doesn't mean that it's right to diminish the importance of that elder role. And so what I, I ultimately did is we would say in passing that really the only difference is that the elders are the ones who are first asked to serve communion. And then if there's not enough elders around, then we ask the deacon anyway. And then the second distinction was that if there ever was a church discipline problem where we needed to go um, you know, deal with somebody who was trapped in sin, that would be an elder-type activity, not a deacon activity. And then probably in my levity and dismissal, so aren't you glad you're not a deacon so you don't have to go to those tough confrontation meetings? And so again, I kind of diminished it all. And, and thankfully, by God's grace, our church has had very few of those kinds of church discipline scenarios. And so that never actually manifested itself. And so elders, um, if they're... If they were sort of on deck, if there was a big problem, but other than that, there's nothing different about it. And by collapse, collapsing those roles, practically, right, we still made a distinction to follow our Constitution, but practically, we regarded them as the exact same. And what that did is it diminished the impact of the elder content. Nobody was an elder. Nobody functioned in a way of caring for the church in the way that I now understand an elder should. And let me also just say here that um, part of this problem comes from my own uh, problem of the fact that I'm bivocational, having two jobs, I realize and the church realizes that I can't do all of the shepherding care, 
kinds of ministries that a typical full-time pastor would do. And so because I couldn't do that, like all the calling or, or visiting the sick or calling on the widows or, you know, just checking in on people or even managing prayer requests, because I was too busy with my other work to do that, um, I never asked any elders to do that either. And so some people were, we did have people who took care of people and there's still people today who are faithful and visiting our, our shut-ins and stuff. Those are, I, it's really great when you think about it, in spite of how, how um, I'm saying all these negative things, our church has done really well because God is so good to us and, and our people really love each other well. So uh, these are just, these are corrective observations. So I'm in the mode of confession, confession here. And I realize that my, my, my vocational role kind of contributed to that collapse of the elder role. And I have since, I also want to point out that maybe it's because of COVID, but because of the need to communicate in a different way, I've taken, um, I've had the privilege of taking firsthand the responsibility for our church prayer requests, for example. And I'm, I'm so moved by the thrill of knowing what our people's prayer requests are. And I'm, I'm ashamed that I didn't pay close attention to those things before. I, I knew about prayer requests, and we had family prayer time that Doug would lead. And so the biggies got to the list. But quite honestly, I didn't, I didn't pay attention to the middle stuff. And now I personally touch all of those prayer requests because I get to type them in and send them out. And man, I don't think I'd give that up for the world anymore because I'm, I'm learning to love our people. And, and it's not that I didn't love them. It's just I didn't know. I didn't take the time. And so I wasn't functioning like an elder should. So anyway, um, the other thing that I have to say that it happened is that in my 16 years here, never once have I ever taught clearly our church from the book of 1 Timothy or the book of Titus about what an elder is supposed to be and what kind of a requirement we have. And I, frankly, when I've asked people to be um, elders or to serve on the board as a board member, I haven't been very forthright or... Um, clear and asking them questions about their personal lives. You know, how are you doing with alcohol? Is it a problem in your life or not? How are you doing with pornography? Is it a, is, are you being faithful to your wife? Um, how would your kids feel if I asked them about whether or not you're uh, qualified to be a board member? Do, do you, are you a faithful father? Or are you a capricious, um, abusive father? Uh, we would never ask those things. And it feels like such a um, invasion into privacy. But you understand is what I was doing was I was uh, neglecting the role of making sure our leaders were qualified biblically. Now, I have to say that as a board, when we would meet, one of the things that we did do frequently was go through those requirements and request uh, and discuss them frequently and go through what does it mean to be blameless? What does it mean to be a man who's not harsh and, you know, um, easily angered? What does it mean to be a man of self-control? What does it mean to be a man who's a uh, one-woman man? And, and uh, all those things. And so we, we kind of did uh, rehabilitation after we were already on the board. We tried to, to uh, ante up and understand, but it really wasn't 
part of the uh, election process. It was, our church hasn't been instructed clearly, and unless you were uh, faithful in your own studies, you wouldn't have even known that there were uh, biblical requirements for an elder. So those are, those are the reasons that I think how we got there. I didn't mean to do it, but my neglect let it happen. And so um, my, my next point tonight is that uh, we, as a board, I shared these thoughts and concerns with the board, and I think it was in our October meeting. And, uh, and I, I said, I think we need to raise the bar. I think that we need to, to push in a different direction with our board members. And I, I asked them if I was all wet. And I asked them to share with me whether or not they shared my vision. And, and what I was trying to say is I, I wanted to return the center of our church leadership to the board. I didn't want staff meetings to make strategic ministry-related decisions. I don't care who decides um, how we mow the lawn. That's not nearly as important. That's an that's important. <laughs> that is important because it's a spiritual gift of administration, and we need to do it well. And so it's not not important, but it's at the board elder level. That's not as important as understanding where we are in our service and leadership of our people. Are we following Jesus? Are we? Is there a dad in the house? Is really the question. Does our family have strong father images? And so, um, so I wanted the center of our church leadership to return to the board and not be found in other places. And uh, and I, I I think that's a pretty important thing. I also wanted the board members to be faithful to our church. Um, I'm not naming names, and I don't think anybody's in trouble, and I don't want to go down and try to record a bunch of history and figure out who did or who didn't. But I would have to say that sometimes over the years, our board members haven't been very committed to our church. Um, and we're even maybe just... Uh, Sometimes it felt like warm bodies. And again, I think I'm probably more at fault for being their leader than for their action themselves. And I also want our church board experience to be a spiritual, a significant spiritual formation experience. In other words, I want a board member who participates in our church service, in our church ministry, and our board, to at the end of their term, not be so burned out and tired that they can't wait to get off, but rather to have been so excited and so warmed to the gospel that they, they would look back on that season of serving our church as one of the most impactful spiritual growth experiences of their lives. The Bible says that those who serve the church well in the, in the role of elder or pastor, um, those who serve the church well gain an excellent standing and an increased faith. You see, it grows you to see God's work in his people. And so there's a privilege associated with being a pastor. And an elder is just one of those things. It's just a pastor without the paycheck. And an elder is a pastor who cares about the people. And so I wanted, I want our board to have the experience of significant spiritual formation. And I also want our meetings to be valuable. Um, I want to say that since we've shifted things around, a December meeting 
in our January meeting, I've come home excited like a teenager from from church camp. I mean, we I come some of the highest emotional uh Spiritual experiences of my life happened at camp, right? Because it's so awesome to be with other believers and see God work. And I'm telling you that when we shifted the focus of our meetings to the study of God's word and the, um, the, the application of our need to be elders and our care for the church and talking about you and figuring out ways to serve you better, I'm telling you, it's so exciting. I come home and instead of laying awake at night, um, dreading and trying to figure out what what we could have done different, how awful the meeting was, I wake up in the morning with a spring in my step because I get to serve our church with a bunch of guys who love Jesus. And they've always loved Jesus. It's just been I wasn't the right kind of leader, and we spent our time on the wrong things. So our meetings can be valuable and not a waste of time. And I, I, when I talk about the board, I, when I ask you to pray for us, I'm asking you to pray for God to lead us as a church and to anoint his leaders with his spirit and give them an insight and a love for Jesus that they can't understand where that grace is coming from because we know it comes from grace and he gives us the power and the desire to do his will and to do it right. So what this raising the bar meant was also more hours a month. This is not just something you can do in one meeting once a month. This is instead of like two to two and a half hours a month, we're talking about 10 hours a month of spending time, uh, maybe occasionally just getting together for prayer, spending time studying so that we can teach a lesson together or, or contacting our people and working down a list of people and say, what's going on in your life? How can we help you? And so it's a significant amount of work each week, right? It, it, we wanted to um, recognize that we would have assignments and that we would study passages and come back and report. And we're working on a book. There's a, a bunch of books over here that we're working through. This is the Church Elders book, and it's a, a book written by um, one of the sources that has influenced me lately out of the um, Nine Marks movement. Um, and so it's a, it's a good evangelical book. It's a good process to use, but it's all of us as elders are working through that, or as board members are working through that book to understand what does the Bible say about elders and what should our attitude be, and we discuss it. I'm telling you, the last meeting, I don't think we even talked about any administrative things until we'd been worshiping together for two hours. And so it was a really great, uh, it's really fun to be part of that, but it's a significant amount of work. And so part of that raising the bar then is we want the joy in the privilege of serving. We want, I want us to be excited about the privilege it was to be at the board meeting, to be an elder deacon of our church to be one of the people who is involved and you know it's an important job i mean the reason it's so important is not because we're slick or because our organization is so hot or you know that we have such a huge footprint you know we're this mega church no the reason that being an elder of jesus's church is so awesome is because jesus thinks the church is so awesome it's the body. It's his body. It's his representation on the earth. It's his institution. And when we serve him well, we're serving the king of kings from eternity and into eternity. And this is his main program. This is the way he's changing us. We know that to follow Jesus is not to be solo. It's to be part of a community. And our community of believers is the main thing. 
And so when we get to be part of that, it's awesome. Uh, you know, Paul makes it real clear in Titus. He says, the reason I left you, Titus, in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless. And then he goes on and explains the qualifications for the elder. But it was a big deal to Jesus and to Paul to leave elders in every town and how and where and how they would serve. So hope for how to get there. What are we going to do to get there? Well, I've already been talking for over 35, almost 40 minutes. Maybe it's actually 40 minutes. And so I'm going to delay the rest of this until next time. And that next time will be in person. But I just want to share with you that God is working in our hearts and that we as a board are excited about what he's doing. And I can't wait to share with you the rest of this great story about how we're going to get there and what you can do to help pray for us. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and um, break here. And um, I wish I could give you an opportunity to ask questions in person. But we'll just have to do that next <clears throat> next Sunday when we are in person. And, um, and so there we go. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for working in my heart and convicting me of where I failed. And help me as your under-shepherd to contribute to our church and to return to a a biblical view of the important role of elders. I, I feel bad, you know. If there was, if I had done better to prepare, prepare our board as an elder team, then Pastor Steve's experience might not have been so painful for him. And I, I maybe prepared him, but I didn't. I, I he was by himself by comparison. Not that we didn't all love him and care for him, but. We just, the, the structures weren't there to let it happen. Father, thank you for the sweet spirit of our church and the, the kindness to, and the quickness to forgive and the desire to move forward. Thank you that in spite of ourselves, you are great and you compensate. And oh man, what, a, what, a, what an impact our church has had by your grace. In spite of us, it's a good reminder that we aren't the key, you are. And thank you now for plowing up my heart and, and moving us as a, a leadership team to go in the right direction as we understand it. In Jesus' name, amen.